This is the Only in Miami show, hosted by Grant Stern. Tonight's show is underwritten by Morningside Mortgage Corporation. Morningside Mortgage Corporation keeps the Only in Miami show commercial free. You can find them online at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We have a fantastic show uh, planned for you tonight. We've got live in studio with us Congressman Joe Garcia. He is the U.S. Congressman for Florida District 26, and he's in a hot election. He's going to be spending the next half an hour with us. Also, at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, we have Francis Suarez. He is the Commissioner for City of Miami's District 1. He's going to be coming in. And we're going to give away some tickets to Venus Rising. The Venus Rising crew is going to join us in the studio at the 8 o'clock hour. Also, during the 7 o'clock hour, we have Fernando Nunez Noda. He is in charge of Noticias Venezuela. It's an online news outlet about Venezuela. He's going to talk to us about some of the terrible things, actually, that are going on in Venezuela. I hate to say it. And we should be joined by Jim Wiss from the Miami Herald. Hopefully he gives us a call in. He is the Bureau Chief for Colombia and for Venezuela. And right now, I've got some amazing news to announce. It's official. The No Walmart and Midtown.com group has prevailed in their lawsuit against Walmart. And the permit to build in Walmart, uh, Walmart inside of Midtown has been quashed by the 3rd District Court of Appeals. That is fantastic news. Uh, the, the judge's decision basically said that even though Walmart hired Mayor Manny Diaz, the former planning director of the city, and probably the current one as well, four plus one still does not equal three as they contended. It's a huge win. They basically decided that the city granted what's called an administrative variance. It's a very illegal thing to do. Basically, they created a situation where there should have been a public hearing, and they decided to give it the old rubber stamp in the back room just because they could. I hope this sends a message to Walmart that they can't come in and abuse local political processes, local zoning processes, and get away with it. There are watchdogs out there, and we are those watchdogs. And right now there's another Walmart fight brewing down in South Dade. And Joe Garcia is here to discuss the letter that he sent to the Fish and Wildlife Services. And he's here to discuss what's going on with that South Dade Walmart fight. It's coming up in just a minute after the break. But once again, I'd like to announce that's the No Walmart and Midtown.com appeal has been found successful. And the Third District Court of Appeals quashed Midtown, the, the permit to build a Walmart in Midtown because the city of Miami granted an administrative variance. This is huge news, and there's going to be a lot more to follow tomorrow. And I want to thank everybody out there who supported the cause and the, the plaintiffs and the attorneys. And I want to name a few of them. Paul Savage was our legal counsel. Uh, Jacob Pfeffer was the lead plaintiff, as was D uh, David Lebitard, also known as Lebo the Artist, uh, Blow Hair Dry Salon, Vintage Liquors, um, I'd like to mention Yasma, Yasmin Garate. I would like to also mention uh, some very, very important help from Bruce Wayne at the Occupy Miami group. Um, also, the indispensable Peter Ehrlich, who helped every step of the way. 
it was a group group win. There's a lot more people that I haven't mentioned. Tom DeBenz. Um, you know, I, I really wish I could mention every single one of them right here. But this win belongs to you. It belongs to the Midtown community. It belongs to you. I merely helped out. But we beat Walmart. Say it again. Say it to yourself. We beat Walmart. It's the first time in this town that it's happened, and it's not the last. We'll be right back with Congressman Joe Garcia. This is the Only in Miami show. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami Show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find us online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes, and a whole lot more. We're on TuneIn Radio now. Check it out, onlyinmiamishow.com. Joe, thank you so much for coming into the studio this evening. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, looking forward to a nice conversation. Well, let's start out with the topic of the hour which is Walmart. I mentioned it earlier in the hour that there's another Walmart fight brewing, and it's in fact a, a pretty full-blown fight at this moment. Well, it's, it's And it's in your district. It's in my district, and they're still working out the, the issues. Uh, it's an environmental issue. You know, the, there's very little rock land, uh, uh, rock pineland left in Florida, and one of those areas is uh, the lots near the Miami Metro Zoo. And, uh, you know, that's a debate that's going on, and it's still before the uh, before the appropriate authority. So we, we don't want to take a stand yet until we, we let the environmental groups uh, work that out, uh, the, the, the state and uh, federal authorities that are going through it. But, uh, you know, there's been a, a lot of people that, uh, that have uh, called us about this and, you know, uh, um, have talked to a few of the, the agencies involved, and we're just making sure we got all our facts straight. But... Uh, but there, there's a there's a, a local guy down there who I grew up watching on TV, uh, Al Sunshine. Who, oh yeah, who, who uh, Al is uh, now retired uh, from TV, but he's uh, leading the fight there, and uh, he's been a friend for many years. So we we've been staying in touch with him, as well as other players in this, because we want to get a good idea of what's going on down there before we make a we make a statement. But you know, it's it's important that people realize that they do have a voice. It's it's why you've got to vote. Right. That's why. That's why it's important so to vote. Important. Absolutely. Very important. Elections fact, have consequences. They absolutely and do. And I like what Juan Cuba wrote, and we published on our blog, which is that democracy belongs to those who show up. Uh, it really does. People get discouraged. They think that their vote doesn't count, and nothing could be further from the truth. Every single one of those votes is precious. Yeah, if you think about it, if you think about what the election of of uh, of Rick Scott did to Florida. Oh, right? wow. I, I try uh, not to. $1.3 billion cut from education. Uh, uh, a lot of that came from our school system here in South Florida. You think about um, uh, turning away uh, uh, 
uh, I was billions just, of dollars in a train that we were going to get in the state. I, I, I was just reading about the Department of Environmental Protection, yeah. how he's proud that they shrunk the amount of time that the state uses to review these very complicated course, environmental course, permits course, course. from 44 days to two. Yeah, of course, because what... What do you think they're the, doing? <laughs> what they're doing is approving it. Uh, and and we're seeing what not having a, a serious environmental policy can do to a country. Uh, we're seeing the impacts. I mean, again, we just closed another record hot month for the United States. Record temperatures this month. That's two in a row. It's happening. People are feeling it. Look, I, I represent... Uh, not only do I represent all of South Dade, right? Westchester, Kendall, um, uh the lakes of the Meadows area, the the Richmond Heights, Ghoul, uh, parts of Goulds, Naranja, Florida City, uh, Florida City, Homestead, and then all the way to Key West. Yeah, all uh, the way, every single Florida. People Key. F- feel it in the Keys, and they they're seeing it change. They're seeing their their environment change. The water temperatures in the Keys highest on record right now, and so it's it's very important for people to understand uh, that elections do have consequences. Look, let's go back to what we were talking about, Rick Scott, right? So Medicaid. Yeah, he declined Medicaid. He said that we could not afford the $51 billion. Free dollars. That, Free that's our money. Dollar. That's our money that went to the Socialist Republic of New York, that went to the People's Republic of California. Well, how about Kentucky? Our money. Kentucky is Kentucky. what they call a red state, but Kentucky. they accepted the money. They accepted the money. And uh, and so what, it, what that means, but understand what that means. That's $51 billion of our money. That's minimum. 60,000 jobs in healthcare lost. That is 50% of the people on Medicaid. You know what they are? Kids. Kids that would have gotten first class, first grade A healthcare for free. They turn that away. Well, speaking of people that are losing their healthcare and Walmart. Walmart is cutting health care for a lot of their associates right now. Well, they that, just announced that they're dropping it. Yeah, no, no. It was, it was it was great. I was in a debate with my opponent. He said, and Joe Garcia, because he supported the 30-hour work week, Walmart just uh, just got rid of health care for 30,000 people. No, Walmart just screwed 30,000 people because they wanted to. Because they wanted to. This well, is because also, they can. Because they can, because people like my opponent and others believe that that's okay. Believe well, that it's abusing people. Listen, here's what we know. One out of two people that signed up for health care live in South Florida. That's a fact. One we, out of two ACA signups were in South, South Florida. Florida. Right? Why? Because it's also the highest place where people don't have health care and where this is making a difference. The, you know, these guys. Uh, the, well, listen, the, I, Walmart has trouble affording this, and I can tell you why. They've got rooms full of lobbyists and very expensive attorneys. It's expensive to hire Manny Diaz to claim that four plus one equals three, especially when it doesn't work out like it did today. Well, it, it's tremendously expensive when you you don't uh, take care of business. And, you know, the, the truth is some of their competitors do have full health care. Some of their competitors Quite do a make few a of difference. them. Publix does. Yeah. And and that Costco. makes a difference in piece of people's lives. Yeah, exactly. And and the idea that uh, you would walk away from your health care workers and you blame that on Obamacare, you're going to blame. Think about this: thirty percent of the workers that work for Walmart are on food stamps. Think about this. Well, that's a, dr- a giant public subsidy, and it's a transfer of wealth directly from the poor uh, to, to the richest Americans in the country. I mean, fifty-five percent of Walmart is owned by six family members. So that means when we hand over four billion dollars a year, which is what I've heard estimated as the, our our tab, we're giving the Waltons two billion dollars a year 
These are people that are all on the Forbes 400. Elections have consequences. Think about this. Uh, you know, the Koch brothers are opposed to minimum wage, so is my opponent, right? We know. Um, economic models say that to be able to keep a roof over your head in Dade County and live at poverty takes $12.40 an hour. That's what all 12, we're asking. 12 is, is the minimum living wage in Miami-Dade right. County. And all we're asking for is 10-10. My, my opponent and the Koch brothers say they don't believe in minimum wage. Now, well, you now know, I want you to just let me give you a quick factoid, right? The majority of people who are on minimum wage are women. And the majority of those women are heads of household. I, I was the other day at a at an IHOP, right? And so I'm there. It must have been 2 in the afternoon, right? I mean, it's slow, right? There's a the short order cook. I don't know if I would order at that moment. Yeah, but, from but that we, we, I was just having coffee, so I was a bad <laughs> Okay, taker. you're safe there. You're safe yeah. there. So I'm having a coffee. It's her and the guy working, the, the short order cook. And I said to her, man, this has got to be tough to make ends meet when this place is empty like this. And she says, well, I make up for it in hours. And so I'm thinking, well, yeah, how, what, what are your hours? She says, well, I come in at 9 in the morning because I, I help get my uh, my granddaughter to school. And then I, I go home at 10 o'clock at night. And I, you know, I heard You definitely that. make a, a lot of hours up there. That's 13 hours a day. And I said to her, well, I guess, I guess that's good because then you only work four days a week, right? And she says, no, no, I work six days a week to be able to keep a, a roof over my head. This is what my job is. Six days a week, these kind of hours. And you, you, you hear this and you're, you know, what, how can, how can she help? How can she have a life? Uh, and, and, you know, that isn't what the American dream is. The idea that we work our people uh, to the nub, but the idea is that if you work 40 hours a week, you should be able to make a decent living. I look at my brother. My brother's a school teacher. He's married to a school teacher. My brother is the salt of the, the nicest guy on earth. So I'm, my brother has two part-time jobs to be able to keep staying teaching. He does a preschool job where he goes to receive the kids. He gets paid extra to be there. Then he's got an after-school daycare job that he does for the YMCA at the school to be able to help pay and keep a roof over his head. Listen, at the end of World War II, men came home and became teachers, and they could keep a family on that salary. Oh yeah. Well, it, that was that was back in the the era of the one earner household. Correct. And and that era is long gone actually. Um I wanted to ask you about this because this is really something that we've touched upon a couple of times. But Walmart has teams of expensive lobbyists doing lord only knows what. I mean, seriously, I just I just finished 3 years worth of fighting Walmart and the central issue was 4 plus 1 equals 3. Your opponent's job, his source of income is being a lobbyist. How how can we as people vote for someone whose job is to impl influence these outcomes on behalf of big corporations? Well, well even how does it, I, let, let's assume how we, can we do that? Well, what's even worse is that he doesn't tell you where his money comes from. I, I got no problems with someone being a lobbyist. Listen, everybody's got to make a living. But here's my point: tell me where it comes from. Tell me at least who you represent. You know, he he calls himself a small businessman. Uh, you know he. I mean, uh, well, he's he's married to a small businesswoman. That's exactly right. <clears throat> so he says, I, I sign checks all the time. I said, whose checks? Your wife's checks because <laughs> it's not your business. And then he uses that as a loophole not to declare who his clients are. So the clients that we know he has, we know he, he represents a, um, um, a foreign uh, Malaysian gambling concern, Genting. We know he represents uh, two Ecuadorian bankers, which I know too. 
uh, we know he represents. Let's see, who's the third? He represents. Um, I, can't, I, I can't. Oh, he represents the uh, some politicians, but then he he won't tell us who his clients are. I mean, and so we've got to guess. We're we're always. And he says, "Oh, I'll be. I'll disclose as long as you tell me you have a direct question." Well, the direct question is, "Who are your clients?" He said on the Putney show on and that August was seventeenth. Oh, okay. You know, that he was give give his client list yet. I was on the Putney show yesterday with him, and he said, no, I'm not going to give my clients. It's unfair to ask that of me. Why is it unfair for you to tell us who you represent, who it is that pays your check? I got no problem with it. I don't mind that he represents Walmart or Shell Oil or Standard. Listen, I I get I get donations from Walmart. Walmart's on my list of donors, right? Okay. Just like everybody else, they're on my list of donors. But I got 6,000 different donors. My median donation is a hundred dollars. Now, the so that means that half of your donations are less than a hundred dollars. That means that half of that list, yeah. And what it also means is that while I take money, I take money from South Florida. I take money from Washington. The majority of my donors are in South Florida. But more importantly, what that means is that I'm running against a guy who's got one donor alone that's given over three million dollars. The Koch brothers. Now, these are guys that deny a minimum wage. These guys are guys that deny global warming. These guys are guys that deny uh, uh, comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, it, two guys giving this kind of money, it's just unacceptable. It's wrong. And it's why the system's broken. Look, any other race, this would have been done a long time ago. The Koch brothers have been spending money against me for a year. For a year, if you'd get on your computer and you lived in my district. Oh, yeah, if you, you just get on you know YouTube, you, you on? see them. They're, they're on YouTube, the they're time. on television, they're no, everywhere. They've got a group that they a group <clears> called <throat> Libertad, which is a Hispanic group that they've funded in my race to the tune of $2 million, who attacks me for not doing enough on immigration reform. Then they've got another Tea Party group <clears> that <throat> yeah. attacks me for being for immigration reform, both being paid. And this group, and that's that's really awesome when you can get attacked for both sides of the issue by opponents. Well, when you can, what get, is your position on immigration look, reform? I, I, Let's get that out there. We've got one a, minute. There is not a city <clears throat> in America that would be benefited more from comprehensive immigration. Reform. Why? Because we not only need it in Homestead where we've got agriculture workers. We not only need it in our healthcare facilities where people take care of our parents or take care of our kids at at daycare centers. The guy driving next to us in a Mercedes that bought a business here is also undocumented. And so what we need to do is make sure that we we do what we've always done. Make sure that we they, they get to the back of the line, they pay their back taxes, they pay their fair share. You know what happens if we get comprehensive immigration reform? What happens? We get $200 billion new new revenue dollars into the economy over the first 10 years. We got a, a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars over 20 years. This is good, and it's in particularly good for South Florida. Here's what we know. When Ronald Reagan did comprehensive immigration reform, you know what happened? What happened? Middle-class salaries went up. Working-class salaries went up. Right now, we're competing against people who aren't here documented. Why? They'll do it for anything. And so it drives our salaries down. When you move people up, you know what? Salaries move up. And that's a great point. And hold that thought. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about the Venezuela situation, and we're going to bring Fernando in here. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. That's www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. We are live with Congressman Joe Garcia. Congressman Garcia represents Florida's 26th district, and he's here in studio with us. Thanks for joining us tonight. Pleasure. It's a pleasure being here, and it's a pleasure representing the southernmost district of the United States of America. So uh, uh, thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you in here. Now, we were talking about immigration reform, and this is a huge issue, especially in South Florida, which is a gateway city. We are the gateway to the Americas and to the Caribbean, and there are a lot of undocumented people here, people who are here on tourist visas. We call it tourist working. Correct. (laughs) Where they maybe come in and out. How is it that we can fairly adjust the system to include these people above the table and right. get them to pay their taxes? Well, I mean, and I, fair I think share? we do it the way America's always done it, right? Look, you know, sometimes countries have a complex about their, what they're best at. If there's something that America does better than any other nation on the face of the earth is make Americans. You come here, and after a generation, yeah, you've got one day a week where you wear silly clothes and you drink too much liquor and you talk about the, your homeland. But the truth is, after a generation— you're American. You're proud of it. You defend it. You fight for it. There's no country where more immigrants uh, have have contributed blood to keeping this country. In fact, you know, Lafayette Square, the, the main park in front of the White House. Well, he's French. He's French. And all the other generals in that park, with the exception of uh, Andrew Jackson's statue in the middle of the park, are all foreigners who fought for America. And, and that's the whole point. We, we give them a pathway, give them rules, make sure those rules apply to everyone, and we move forward as a country. Look, you look at uh, Europeans, they're not particularly good at doing immigration. You know, you go to, you go to Paris, you go to the outs- outside of Paris, Montmartre, the, the suburb. That, that, for all intents and purposes, of, is, an Ar- is a Muslim village. Why? Well, yeah, they, they, they refuse allowed... to integrate. They absolutely and refuse to integrate. And the French don't integrate them. That's well, and, part and of the And that's problem. why there's been the car fires and exactly. the riots. And, exactly. And that's how many European countries have tried to handle immigration, because it's, it's new for them. Exactly. That's exactly right. But for us, we've been doing it, we've been doing it right for uh, over 400 years, right? Even before it was in America, we were taking immigrants, and we make them Americans. We make them better— they come to us with their hope, their dreams. They shed all the bad. They, they give us all the good. And, and America keeps evolving, becoming well, a better, faster, stronger. Right now, the system heavily favors those who have money. I mean, but we're, then, we're right, about but, to talk. We're about to talk about the Skyrise project, which is going to be built exclusive with, exclusively with E five B five Yeah, E B fives. They're almost all from China, and they're basically buying their tickets into this country. Now, last I checked. The statute of liberty, uh, the statue of liberty, still says, "Give me your poor, your tired, tired, your huddled masses." But, these are not your huddled but Grant, masses. Why, but why not both? Why not both? I mean, it, let me give you a fact. For I, I don't know how old you are, but for someone my age to be able to retire in the next fifteen years, we not only have to find a pathway forward for the eleven million that are here, but we've got to find a proper pathway for another 7 million through legal immigration because it's the only way you keep the Social Security strong enough, Medicare, Medicaid strong enough, as you have more workers paying into a growing and expanding economy. Grant, there has never been a country in the history of the world that didn't have that was successful it didn't have immigration it's a necessary component in moving your culture your workforce your ability to 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 move the country forward well speaking of retirement 
your opponent has made some really spurious claims that we've been seeing in an advertisement, and it's it's not like no, he loves Ponzi scheme. It's not an edited it way, yeah. advertisement. It's right. like here's here's what yeah. he said. Here's just a thirty second clip. It's not like uh, well, if we cut you know every other word out. We'll find some sort of statement well, like here. The ads, like the ads he's run against me, right, where they take me out of context, they cut it. You know, it's funny. Somebody said, why are these ads so negative? Well, my, my ads aren't negative. My ads are his words, right? It's his own words. And he's, own and your your opponent says that Social Security is a Ponzi scheme. Right. And he intends to fix it so that you get about 10 or 12 years worth of benefits and good luck and the rest then, of your and life. And then we, we go the, the route of the Eskimos. We put you on a... On a nearby iceberg, and we push you off into the ocean uh, when you hit 77. It's, of course, absurd. The idea that. that well, actually, that it's absurd because single... the iceberg's going to melt, and then that's it. So maybe that is the plan. That is the plan. You stop. Uh, you know, I think about uh, myself, right? Grant, I started paying in when I was 14 years old because I've been working since I was 14. And that's how you make a difference uh, um, to your family, to your friends. Uh, you know, before Medicare and Social Security were put in place. Before Medicare in particular, 50% of our elderly li had no health care and 30% lived in abject poverty. This is the, These two programs, Medicare and Social Security, are the single most successful social programs in the history of this country. It took our elderly and gave them significance, treated them with respect. That's what he wants to cut. That's unacceptable. That's un-American. And well, we don't go back. We go forward. Okay, I'd like to welcome to the studio Fernando uh, Fernando Nunez Noda. Hello. And Fernando, tell our audience a little bit about your your uh, just a little bit about your web service and your reporting on Venezuela. Okay, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, yes, I'm a, a journalist from Venezuela, living here in Miami. Uh, I've been uh, following um, for for all these uh, last years the situation in Venezuela, which is very serious. Uh, is a reduction uh, of democracy uh, that we can count day by day. Something new happens, and and I've been focusing uh, especially on the on the uh, freedom of speech. Okay, so the freedom of speech in Venezuela has been severely curtailed by all the reports that we've heard. Absolutely. What's going on in Washington? Because I know that there's a lot of discussion right now. Well, look, this is uh, this is a government that uh, the U.S. Uh, has been, in essence, trying to um, um, disrupt the U.S. for a long time. They 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 sponsor a lot of the enemies of this country. They they give embassies to to countries that have no embassies anywhere else uh, in the hemisphere, with the exception of Cuba. Uh, and, and this is a guy, uh, Chavez and now Maduro, who took the single uh, richest country in the region, right, per capita. This is a country that had almost no taxes because the PDVSA, PDVSA was the national That's oil the national company. oil company, yes. But it was run like a private business. PDVSA was the sixth largest corporation on earth. And the revenues from PDVSA paid for most of the social programs. They've bankrupted PDVSA. They've gone from a production, a crude production of almost seven, I think it was seven million seven barrels million. a day. They are now down to somewhere about two points, almost two point one. And now like they're in this in uh, in a huge, uh, huge crisis because they've lost uh, the the value. You know, the 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 price of oil is dropping. Uh, right. So so their budget that was bad already is, is even, now going way south. Of yeah. course. And and by the way, all this is happening while Venezuela has power outages now in Cuba. 
which has always had powder. There are no power outages because Venezuela <laughs> yeah. is giving so much oil to Cuba that in Cuba there are no power outages. A country has no oil of its own gets Venezuelan oil uh, for free. Well, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I remember the outcry in, that my Venezuelan friends had when the bridge, they call it Route 1. Yeah. It's the bridge that connects Caracas to the airport. It collapsed. Collapsed. Yeah. collapsed. But maybe a month or two earlier, uh, Hugo Chavez had announced that he was giving $300 million to Bolivia to build a bridge. Yeah, no, no. It's it's that kind of absurd. And look, and I want to say something because we, we sometimes don't realize this. I mean, uh, there's probably been no immigration that a city has ever gotten as good as the Venezuelan immigration, right? You, you got especially the restaurants. I can attest to that. <laughs> you got, you got doctors, what? lawyers, you got businessmen, engineers, you know, engineers, scientists. By the way, you you go to Houston, you, you go to Houston right now. It's a huge Venezuelan population because there are oil experts that have moved there in this community. It's what other what other immigration shows up with several Miss Universes uh, in tow? It's it's an amazing thing. They if you looked at our economy when our real estate market was completely collapsing, in Doral and Weston prices were still going up because Venezuelans were moving there. But the reality is, we need Venezuela back as a democratic country. We need we need to give the Venezuelans yeah. help. By the way, and we need to give them help here also. You know, I filed a bill, uh, the Venezuelan Liberty Act, to try to give. The Venezuelans' legal status here. I've sent a letter to the president to ask that it, when he moves on TPS, that he do it for Venezuelans also, because of course they're part of our community. And you, you know, you talked about the people who are on tourist visas. A lot of Venezuelans, the head of household will be on tourist visas, while the rest of the family is sort of just living here and they're undocumented. But sure, it's the only way that he can keep the family together. Uh, listen, and, and then there's the, the problems when you have people that are here legally. But their family is Correct. stuck there, and they'd like to bring them here. Correct. But there's an enormous process. There's enormous bureaucracy to it. Yep. It's not just red tape. It's it's a belt, well, a one steel belt that, made out of One of the things that we, we've gotten the administration to do, and, and we're, we're happy that the administration has done, is that they've deferred action on those Venezuelans that didn't uh, um, uh, get asylum. And so they, are, they, they give them status for a while, and that's important, too, because I think it's a realization of what's going on in Venezuela. This is... I got to tell you, I, I don't know if you ever traveled to Venezuela. I did a lot. Venezuela was a was a was such a rich, diverse. You talk about good restaurants here. That Caracas had some of the best restaurants in the world. This was a place where you know just the richness, the 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 opportunity of Italian, German uh, um, uh, immigrants from Great Britain, immigrants from all over the world were were welcome there. This was a rich country. Cubans that were running from persecution in Cuba, went there. The Venezuelans gave them uh, refuge. And to watch this great country be, be humbled this way by these crazy people is just a disaster for the region. It's a disaster for Latin America. This is a country that had a tradition of democracy. Yeah, it had been A very long tradition, but A actually. very long yeah. tradition. Yeah, that's exactly and, right. and a constitutional democracy at that. Fernando, do you have any questions for, for Congressman Garcia? Because I know he's going to have to take off in a minute or two here. Well, I wanted to know... Um, you know that there were some initiatives. Uh, I think you were one of the, uh, the champions of those um, uh, to to try to impose some sanctions on on some um, of the uh, the functionaries of, uh, of the, uh, the regime. Uh, but I think they they have been stalled some way. They've been stalled in in the Senate. In that uh, first off, it was stalled by the uh, a Senator Coker from. Uh, I think it's Kentucky, uh, and then it was stalled by Senator Landrieu. Uh, uh, but as you know, 
the president has been taking steps. We saw the first of a series of indictments. Uh, we saw yes. the first of a series of cancellations. And I, I want to say this because a lot of Venezuelans, uh, like most of us from uh, that have a history of Latin America, we like to see bold um, <laughs> a public stance, right? And, and I think what the administration has done is very calibrated, very calculated. For every guy they arrest, there are, there are dozens more being interviewed. You know, because the, the fascinating thing, we're not only uh, Venezuelans like you are here, but there are people from Venezuela who are participating in, in the Chavez or the Bolivarian Revolution. Yeah. There's a guy. Uh, and some in, of them are buying these condos downtown, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Downtown. That's where they're, that's where they're putting the money. Got, a guy who never had a penny when, when in Venezuela until Chavez came to power owns a huge horse farm in Wellington and has put on horse shows. There are yeah. Venezuelans uh, living amongst us who are part of the Bolivarian Revolution, which, uh, of course, is unacceptable. And the, the reality is... I, I've spoken to the administration about this. We've given them names. There are books about this. Uh, and we, we hope that the U.S. government does take action against these folks. But, I, again, I want to avoid, though, and I say this with, with caution, because the, you know, if there's a bad example of, of success in foreign policy, uh, it's Cuban-Americans, right? Sure. I don't want Venezuelans to imitate us because we failed, right? Uh, I don't think we need an embargo on Venezuela. We need very tight sanctions to limit their ability to do things. But I do think that Venezuelans traveling back and forth have a huge impact. They're part of what's keeping civil society alive there. People are fighting for their space, and that's very important. Well, we're going to take a really short break, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find us online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. And I want to thank Congressman Garcia for spending a long session in the studio with us. It's been really great, and we're going to have a wonderful podcast out tomorrow morning. So if you missed any of it, you can catch the rest at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at Grant Stern. Uh, we've been live tweeting uh, tonight, and we always publish our podcasts there. And you can find our guest, Fernando Nunez Noda, there. Uh, Fernando, Hello. what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is uh, at uh, Nunez Noda, which is N-U-N-E-Z-N-O-D-A. And you've got a very active uh, Venezuela uh, news yeah. service, like a Venezuelan, is it a blog, a news service? What do you call it? Well, uh, um, we have a blog. Okay. Uh, it's a, activist, a cyber activism blog. Okay, but, cyber activism but blog. But now like it. it's on a process of uh, rebuilding it. Because uh, we were trying to do it from here, from Miami, uh, but we found out that that it was best to to handle it. I mean, to 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 give it to to people in Venezuela because they are on on the field. You know, they are reporting what's happening. So we are uh, practically giving it to a group of people in in a city called Barquisimeto. Okay, uh, a very interesting group of young journalists. Uh, and they're going to, to do an excellent job reporting news and trying to, to, to do some curatorship on the amount of information. You know that Venezuela yeah, the, is very active. Yeah, it takes active. a lot of work to curate all that information. Yeah. So there was something that we were talking about earlier today that you mentioned that's deeply concerning. And I call it thought crimes. But tell, yeah. our, tell our audience a little bit about what's going on, because there's been so many tweets written. In fact, yeah. what's going on in Venezuela is being only documented by tweets. Yes. And now what's happened to those people who are sharing the news? Yeah, well, um, well, the thing is that um, in Venezuela there is a blackout uh, of information. Uh, uh, official and public information, independent media is being shut down. So as a mashable, you know, the, this mashable that come, uh, this uh, cyber society uh, website said, practically the only uh, independent media in Venezuela is Twitter because it's something difficult to, to, to censor. But it happened something that it hadn't uh, happened before in the extension that, is, uh, that, that we're, we are seeing right now which is that five uh, Twitter tweetsters are being uh, held captive. I mean, they were taken by the police and they were uh, made prisoner for interrogation, like if they were, you know, criminals. All they say, all they do, all they did, I'm, I'm sorry, all they did was uh, some of them publish a picture of a, of a slain uh, deputy of, uh, of the government. Okay. Uh, he was uh, he was killed in a very strange circumstances. Uh, that that sounds nauseous. That that are still unclear. So somebody leaked a picture of the of this person in the in the you know in the in the morgue uh, when he was uh, in the cor coronel's office, etc. And the picture leaked. It was someone from inside. 
Okay. It was published in Argentina uh, because not there is not a, a, a media outlet in Venezuela uh, capable of, of, of publishing that without being punished. So it was published in, a, in, Ar in Argentina in a place called Infobae, and some people republish it in their Twitter account. Well, they were taken prisoner, and some of them are still uh, uh, kept prisoner. I think that that is a way, because they eventually they will uh, set them free, but it's a way to prevent other people to create fear. You know, it's a way to, to establish fear in the, in, the, in the people. So they are going to think twice. Uh, the next time they're going to exercise some, some of these uh, things that, that are uncomfortable for the regime. Well, th this is a really scary thing in general because it, I call it a thought crime. A thought yes. crime means it's just something they're thinking or saying, and the government is reaching out and yes. and removing their liberty with the idea that you can curtail people from thinking these things and, and, and control them, right? Yes. That, that, I mean, that's that's really the, the idea. And um, one of the things that we reported about on this show uh, back in February was that they cut the Internet to a million people on the western border. Of Venezuela yes um, what's the incentive for that why why remove the internet just from the people on the western border of Venezuela the border between Venezuela and Colombia well um, yeah, as an, um, let me let me give you a, a little uh, outlook on that in 2010 the government nationalized uh, practically it took back the main telecommunication company which is CanTV, which is dominate, uh, I would say, 80% of the of the connections and the telephones in the country. Okay. So they practically control everything. They control the the whole internet traffic. So they they have the the uh, They can um, selectively shut it down in certain states, certain moments. They can slow down the internet, the, too? The internet okay. which is by the way, the third slowest internet in the world. Wow, I don't, I don't know that, if you that knew takes that. a lot of work. <laughs> it was. So Venezuela is the third <laughs> slowest internet in the world? Yes, that, that, that's a shame because it was the fastest in the region 10 years ago. Wow, that's that's a huge, huge change and in policy. And since uh, in those uh, western states bordering Colombia, they were protesting very actively against the government in the streets, uh, they were protesting, um, you know, um, against uh, the, the arbitraries uh, of the government. Uh, so, well, one way the, the regime found to, to, to make difficult the, the logistics of those uh, uh, protests was to shut Internet down for several hours, uh, for even for more than 24 hours in some times. So people cannot communicate, cannot uh, uh, to convoke people to, to, to gatherings uh, or to, to spread information about what they're going to do, to, to publish uh, pictures of what's happening, you know. Uh, it's a way to, to, to stop, the, uh, to, to diminish the capacity of, the, of a free society to organize itself and to do something that is a right, 
You have the right to protest. You have the right. Well, to- isn't that one of the human rights listed in the Organization of American States Charter? I the- I, I think so. I think so because it's, it, it it derives from the from the from the right that you have to express to express your discontent. I mean, to express your opinion is a is a form. It's a way to express an opinion, uh, saying I don't agree with this. And if we um, understand once and for all, for for you know, there are many people who believe that in Venezuela there is a democracy just because there is a a, a face, a mask of democracy. We have elections. We have um, apparently a separation of powers that, that in reality doesn't exist at all. No, there's there's no separation of powers in Venezuela. There's pretty much a rubber stamp council at this point. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that that was one of the things that Hugo Chavez did to legitimize or yes. attempt to legitimize his, his authority, which was to rewrite the Constitution. Yes. So That's... he kind of changed the playing field and tilted yes. it towards the president's uh, way. I think that... Uh... The, the left, I mean, the left that comes basically from Cuba and that type of... They it's change. not the left. It's it's the hardline communists. Yeah. They're not left. That, that, They're that, yeah, that's, extreme left. That's true. That's one one analyst called the Asiatic left, <laughs> which is derived from, from the from the teachings of Lenin. Okay. Which yeah. is not an, a Western uh, left. It's no, a, it's not a... Left and right mean different things in Latin America today. Yes. Than in in the United States, uh, but uh, somebody on the left in the United States would probably be to the right of eighty or ninety percent of <laughs> the politics. In, I in agree America with that. Today. I agree with that. But I think they realize that um, you know the the armed armed uh, struggle uh, to to try to face uh, these uh, governments with with uh, with uh, armies was very difficult for them to to achieve success. So they change the strategy, and they say simply, let's try to get, I mean, to win elections, to be elected uh, legitimately, and when we are uh, elected... When we're in power, we can yeah. rewrite the books, and we that's it. We can rewrite the book. Right, whereas previously there was an armed struggle. In Colombia, FARC was fighting to try and overthrow... Yeah. The, the democratically elected constitutional government. You see that they couldn't. So so they they try, especially with those populist um, uh, people like, like Hugo Chavez precisely, which is uh, very appealing to the poor. Uh, they well they say let let's let's get uh, legitimately to to power, then change the the rules of the game, mm-hmm. uh, in our favor of course in their favor. Of course. They they created a series of you know a, a manipulations uh, for example something that that were temporal they they created several uh, figures that were temporal but they had the ability to 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 manipulate for example elections uh, and the the very own uh, congress and everything everything and they end up with uh, this cosmetic institution that. They had all the formalities, but at the end of the day, they respond to just one central authority. That that, that is the jefe. everything. El jefe. That is the el jefe. So, uh, I'm curious. Have you ever read Hernando de Soto, the uh, inappropriately named Hernando de Soto, his book, <laughs> yeah. uh, Dead Capital? Are you familiar with I, that? I, I'm familiar with it. 
it, it, it's a very important work uh, looking at Latin America from a capitalist perspective and saying what's wrong here. And one of the things in Venezuela in particular is that it's very difficult to enter the formal economy. In other words, to register a business, yes. license it, open a bank account, and, and hold former, formal title to that which you work on. How, how is that affected by all of this government turmoil? Well, uh, it has practically destroyed, I mean, because it has reduced the, the, formal, the formal economy to the minimum. Uh, before Chavez, I, uh, have, we have to accept that the, the formal economy has a lot of troubles. I mean, it was very difficult, as you say, to create businesses. Uh, I would say that uh, almost 60% of uh, the population was not uh, um, uh, in the bank uh, system. They didn't have any, any bank account, for example. And bureaucracy is very uh, complicated. But, but, but it was possible. I mean, it was possible to create a company. It was possible to register, to pay taxes, and, and, and all the things that a regular economy has. It was more possible. Now, it's practically impossible. I don't know if you have uh, learned that Venezuela is the last country in the least, uh, uh, you know, uh, according to the... Um, to the facility, to, to the okay. easy days uh, to, to do business. Yes, yes. It is it's the most complicated is country the in most the world. complicated country to do business in the entire world. That's pretty scary. <laughs> you know, we, we think we have it bad here in the city of Miami at times. Oh, no. But we, we have no idea. It's really this is a, a piece tragedy of cake. over there. Yeah. It's a piece of cake in comparison. <laughs> because in Venezuela, uh, for example, uh, it takes um, even, it could take six months to create a company. There are countless organizations that you have to register. <laughs> right. Uh, a, and over, and, and you have to get a stamp, it, and yeah. you have to get a seal, and yes. you have to get a permit. And each one of those costs money. Costs money. And, and you'll have an inspector if you don't. For example, if you hire somebody, you cannot, you cannot uh, fire it. Yeah, no you, firing allowed. No. Huh? It, you have to wait for, for the person to resign. I'm sure that makes for very, very harmonious employee-employer relations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no other way than that. And that, of course, plays in favor of, an, of the informal economy. So everything is informal, like in Cuba itself, that if you want something, you, you, cannot, you cannot find it for the regular channels. You have to go to somewhere in the street to, well, to, to you, get it. You mentioned that, and there's two things. We've got a few minutes left that I wanted to squeeze in, which is, number one, there's food shortages in Venezuela, and number two, there's incredible currency inflation. But have you heard any new news on the currency inflation? In February, we determined it to be 300% annually. Yes. Has, has there been any movement since then? Is there something you can tell us about that? That's well, on? it's basically getting worse. Basically getting worse uh, because uh, the money, uh, the money in Venezuela is becoming exactly like 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 the currency in Cuba. It doesn't. I mean, it's not worth anything outside uh, the country. No, it's, it's not convertible. It's but convertible. inside the country, can you buy anything with it? Well, you 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 still can, uh, but less every month. I mean, the inflation can be counted daily. is is a very is a very precarious it's a very precarious situation. If you have dollars, you are rich. 
Uh, you right. can do if anything. If you have dollars, you can do anything. This is something that, that we've observed inside of Cuba for many decades. But, yeah. uh, but I mean... But, but, but listen, since the, the, the regime was relatively wealthy for, for, the, for the oil uh, income, they, they, can, they could compensate this with, uh, with their own money. So they, they in, increased their power in the purchasing power by just giving money price. away. Yes, they are giving money, but now that's going to to to, to come to an end with the, with this collapse at the, at the oil prices. So it's going to be a very desperate situation that, that nobody wants to see. But but I think that we are going to 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 face it sooner or later. So. What do you think the end game is in Venezuela? Are we going to have to wait another five years until there's an election? Or will somebody step down? Or will something happen? I mean, what do you think is going to happen in the coming, let's say, six months? you got one minute. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I think that if uh, this continues this way, there's going to be some kind of implosion in that regime. They are going to be in, incapable of sustaining... Anything. I mean, they are running out of money. They are running out public support. That is what keeps them alive. Um, that's to me and food. The, the, and food, of course. To me, that's the only only hope that they collapse. Well, Fernando, I want to thank you so much for coming down to the studio tonight. Thanks for having me. And it's been a wonderful hour. I also want to thank Congressman Joe Garcia. Uh, from Florida's District 26 for coming into the studio tonight. We're going to be back on at 8 o'clock. At the top of the hour, we're going to have uh, a City of Miami District 1 Commissioner Francis Suarez, and we're going to be discussing the controversial Skyrise project. We'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. are the people that say yes. Doral Hyundai's 10-year or 100,000-mile warranty lets you rest assured, no mechanics fees. The Biz and Doral Hyundai are teamed up for a one-day special Saturday, October 25th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Find out why so many people are driving a Hyundai. Test drive a car and get complimentary Cine Bistro movie tickets, free food, and for anyone who buys a car that day, all dealer fees waived. Make sure to mention The Biz to receive all these benefits and more. They are the people that say yes. Think outside the cable box. DirecTV is the undisputed leader in sports with package offers starting at $29.99 a month for 12 months. Call now. Call Acquire Service Group at 888-820-0410 and join over 50 million customers that enjoy the DirecTV experience every day. That's Acquire Service Group at 888-820-0410. Requires 24-month agreements like package or above. Sports subscriptions sold separately. Blackout rules apply. Offers valid through 12 31 New approved customers only. Other conditions apply. Call for details. 
it's going to happen to someone else, not me. That's what Adrian used to think about identity theft before he tried to buy a new car and the dealer ran his credit. He was shocked to learn that someone had racked up a $15,000 credit card balance and bought a timeshare in his name. This motivated Adrian to become a member of LifeLock, the industry leader in identity theft protection. And in the time since Adrian signed up, LifeLock's gotten even better. With their new LifeLock Ultimate Plus service, you're provided protection for your identity, bank and retirement accounts, credit cards, even the equity in your home. Look, no one can stop all identity theft, but LifeLock Ultimate Plus provides the most comprehensive identity theft protection available. Help protect yourself with LifeLock Ultimate Plus now. Visit LifeLock.com and enter promo code AWARE or call and mention AWARE to save 10%. Call 1-800-838-6010. 800-838-6010. Network does not cover all transactions. Every 67 seconds, someone in the United States develops Alzheimer's. And today, more than 5 million Americans are living with the disease. Have you thought about who would provide that care for you or a family member and how to pay for it? The cost can run 80 to 90, 100,000 annually or more. But there's an even greater expense. In 2013, 15 and a half million family and friends provided 17 and a half billion hours of unpaid care to those with Alzheimer's and other dementias. Due to the physical and emotional burden, caregivers had $9.3 billion in additional health care costs of their own. All told, 60 to 70% of us will need some form of long-term care, and Medicare likely won't pay. Contact my good friend Lynn Rowe, CFP, today and receive her free booklet and information on long-term health care. Call 877-270-3127. That's 877-270-3127. Or go online at IWantMyLTC.net. IWantMyLTC.net. Listen every weekday at 3.30 p.m. for Stern on the Street, hosted by Michael Stern. Michael is a fixed income specialist in South Florida. Michael offers a 7% per year tax investment that is not a tax annuity. He expects to get more than his investment back in two to three years, and all income and capital gain will be taxed for the long-term capital gain rate. To find out more, call Michael at 866-620-2123. That's 866-620-2123. Liberty Council successfully defends homeowners' religious liberty. I am Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council. We'll talk about this next on Freedom's Call. Florida residents Enoch and Inez Berlucci were told by their homeowners association that they had to remove their statues of Jesus and the Virgin Mary from their lawn or face legal action. The association even demanded documentation on the stated religion, the religious significance of the statues, and why these statues could not be relocated to a different location on the lot or enclosed behind a fence out of street view. Previously, the Homeowners Association had permitted many other secular lawn sculptures throughout the development, including topless Greek statues and life-size human skulls. After the Bellucci family contacted Liberty Council, we sent a letter to the association, and thankfully, the Homeowner Association reversed its discriminatory policy. In Congress, in the courtroom, and in your community, Liberty Council is advancing life, liberty, and the family. Log on to lc.org. WZAB Sweetwater, South Florida's only business radio station. 880 AM, The Biz, a division of Salem Communications. On the NASDAQ as SALM.
This is the Only in Miami show, hosted by Grant Stern. Tonight's show is underwritten by Morningside Mortgage Corporation. Morningside Mortgage Corporation keeps the Only in Miami show commercial-free. You can find them online at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. You can find us online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. That's www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. And you can find me on Twitter, at Grant Stern. This hour, I'd like to welcome our very special guest who's called in tonight, Francis Suarez, City Commissioner from the City of Miami. Francis, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Grant. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So there's been reports that you wrote a letter supporting Skyrise, which is probably something that uh, it's something that two other commissioners did. Right. Um, and it's submitting, uh, it's, you supported an application for local financing. Is that is that correct? Well, uh, let me just start by explaining uh, essentially how the City Commission of Miami uh, was involved in Skyride. It was a project that was proposed uh, before the City Commission. Um, it would have essentially been built uh, and maybe built on a portion of Bayside that is now a vacant parking lot. And the plan was that it was going to generate about a million dollars in revenue annually for the City of Miami. All right. So we decided, um, and a ten million dollar windfall uh, when the the item is approved, right? A annual, annual, right? So it's a perpetual. So we we put it to the, the vote of the city uh, electorate, and it passed uh, overwhelmingly uh, seventy to thirty. Um, what, what has since transpired after that is that the project uh, promoter, uh, Mr. Jeff Berkowitz, has asked for the county. Uh, to provide uh, money from its uh, from one of its bond issuances, uh, voter-approved bond issuances as well, uh, to supplement uh, or to subsidize a portion of, of the project. We claim infrastructure in nature. Um, and, and, you know, we, the city commission, um, and, and, the, and the mayor, who also supported uh, the, the, the project before the voters of the city of Miami, uh, were never under the misimpression that Mr. Berkowitz uh, was going to ask for some sort of government financing because he had, in fact, asked the state government in the prior state budget for some sort of, a, of an allocation, which I believe the governor ultimately vetoed. So, yeah, I mean, so, it, was, it was pretty so clear. He was he, he had applied for uh, funding from Tallahassee already. That's correct. And it had That's been correct. rejected before it went to the commission on June 26th of this That's year. That's correct. Now, right. The election was uh, the the vote was held on August twenty sixth, and during right. the interim time, Mayor Regalado recorded a radio spot, and right. the radio spot said, "Taxpayers win. We don't put any money into this." Right. Yeah, but it and, turns you know, out that, that, that's his. You know, and I, and I think he has now decided that he wants to oppose uh, the request uh, from the county, right. uh, which of course the city commission doesn't doesn't opine on. I think what what created a little bit of a rub from my perspective was the fact that we would have had a supporting. The project, and I think you know, where I could have 
uh, you know, you know, where I could have refined uh, my position was simply by saying that, you know, that I supported the project, which I did, and I think so, an overwhelming number of citizens of the city did, you know, without getting into the financial aspects of whether the county would would approve some sort of uh, uh, subsidiary financing or subsidiary uh, uh, portion of, of the project, which which I feel very confident that the county commission will will do what they think is in the best interest of the citizens. And I know that my father, being a county commissioner, um, is someone that has always acted responsibly uh, once presented with these questions. So I'm, I'm, but, I'm not. But the, the city's voters voted on this project thinking that county taxpayers and city taxpayers would not have to put money into the project. And when we say project, we're not just talking about the tower, but the infrastructure. It is one project. You would not build right. a bunch of infrastructure and wait for a tower. Now, yeah, look, I, this, I, I, I want to play... Brent. Hold on, hold I on. Not, I, I would like to play something that sure. aired on 880 AM, The Biz is The Gray Zone. It aired originally on the 6th of October, and it re-aired this past Friday, and I was sitting sure. in my car, and when I heard this, my eyes clicked. I sure. mean, the hair on my arms stood up, because he okay. had been saying all along, hey, this is a privately financed project. Let's Let's hear the clip. Sure. So let me emphasize that the tower itself is going to be built with private dollars. That's right. I know that. The exactly. public That's infrastructure it. is something that we believe that the community probably should participate in. The the community uh, in in Paris was involved in building the Eiffel Tower. All over the world, these icons uh, were were public private partnerships. Well, we're not asking for public investment in the tower, but. The baywalks and the roadway infrastructure. That's what we were asking for from Tallahassee, particularly. And, uh, so, in other words, he's been saying all along that we're asking for money from Tallahassee. Right. He had the opportunity on air to say we're asking for money from the county, but he asked for the money from the county over six right. months ago. He knew that he had asked for the county when he went onto that broadcast and when he went to our voters and when he convinced our mayor that there was no public money involved. Right. So, my question for you is, should the pu public be given another chance to vote on this knowing that there's going to be public money involved and well, then make an informed decision? Well, let me just say that he never um, informed me uh, that uh, prior to our vote that he was going to ask the county for funding either. And, and if he had done it uh, prior to the vote, then I would have expected him to do that, um, and it never happened. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's just a fact. So, so in other words, he omitted the fact that he had already applied to the county for financing right. before and, you and, and, ruled and, and, on it on the fairness, days. And in fairness, I knew that he had, and I think we all knew that he had applied for the state. Everybody so knew it, that he had applied for yeah. state financing. So, so, he was so given it, it, $2 million it, 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 that it was vetoed. Me, it doesn't catch me completely by surprise uh, that he applied to another government. What he told us, and I think the, what we voted on, was the premise that the city of Miami would not uh, put in any money. In fact, it would be a revenue gener generator for the citizens of the city of Miami. So, and, you know, I, look, I, I think that uh, I, I'm not here as an apologist for Mr. Berkowitz. I think he has the ability to answer for himself or for the mayor, you know, and, and why he got involved in the campaign. I was not involved uh, uh, in the campaign. No, I understand uh, that, of so, course. So, so, you know, for, from my perspective, the reason why I went to the voters of the city of Miami is because we have a charter requirement which requires that any lease for waterfront property or any modification, substantial modification of a lease, has to be voted on by the voters. And so we uh, constructed the question, I presume, uh, from the legal department 
on the basis of the information that we were given, um, and it passed overwhelmingly. Now, I think the I think the question that you're asking, and that others have asked me before, is you know, is it appropriate for him to receive county bond money, and was it envisioned in in the vote for county bond money that these expenditures uh, be made? And I think that's a legitimate question. I think uh, I know, for example, we did a we the city of Miami did a 2001 uh, Curie's Homeland Defense bond issuance, and even today, 2014, we have not spent all the funds from that 2001 bond issuance, and we're continually making changes because projects are happening or not happening on the basis of uh, feasibility and other factors, and and that leads to a very legitimate question, which is if voters vote on something in 2001. Should they be stuck with the decision of elected officials 10 years later? That's, that's another really good question, because that's where the money yeah. from the county would come from, right. from a bond right. issuance that's 10 years right. old. That's right. And, and I think, I don't know if you saw that there was another uh, issue that we put on the ballot as a city commission uh, to address situations like what happened with Flagstone. Where uh, I call it the Corroyo Amendment because I think he was the main backer and it did pass, right? He was, he was, he yeah. was a proponent of it. We all supported it. Uh, you know, I, I work with him on it on the legislation because it, it needed to be tweaked a little bit. Uh, but but the bottom line is that it went before the voters, it passed also overwhelmingly. And what it basically says is that you know, if uh, if a developer doesn't get a building permit within four years after a referendum has passed. Then that then there has to be a new referendum. So we we may want to think about something similar in the context of, of bond financing. I know that you know these voter approved general obligation bonds happen one day and take unfortunately a decade uh, to materialize. But but there's a problem even with the charter amendment as we as we passed it. And, sure. And part of the, it happens. I, I, it hap- It always happens because we're human. <laughs> we make mistakes. We leave well, things well, out. I'll, I'll There's unintended you, consequences. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the problem is. I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is if a developer simply gets a building permit, then they've complied with the charter amendment. So it's we, not we, that we're... easy to get a build a building permit, though. It takes a lot of oh. process. And well, and if you have a minute to indulge me, uh, there's <laughs> another charter amendment that I would love to see, which would be to empower the City of Miami's Urban Design Review Review Board, otherwise known as the UDRB, to make sure. permanent and binding decisions. Now, I don't know if you've heard the news because it just came out at 4 o'clock. I, I have. But, I have. but it's, it, it's come to light. The, the judges have decided that right. Walmart was in the wrong and, right. and the appellants were in the right. They have quashed Walmart's permit. What's yes. w- what's your opinion on this? Because you did not get to rule on this on the dais. Well, well, you're right. I was not for that day, and I certainly, if, if, if I have not a, had a chance to read the opinion, as you said, it was uh, delivered very late in the day today. So I definitely uh, want an opportunity to read the opinion. But my understanding is that it was quashed because part of the permit allowed for five uh, docking bays versus two or three, which is what's allowed in the code. So that was that was considered by the judges to be uh, an over uh, extension of of what the permit should allow for under under the code. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of remanding instructions are in the opinion. There's actually no instructions in the opinion. It just says remanded as per you know. It's pretty unclear. But well, um, I, we have to look at the opinion I, again. I haven't read the opinion. I've just read the lawyer's summary. Oh yeah, summary it's, of it's the nine pages long. Nine yeah, pages. I, I haven't looked at it yet. I've read the lawyer's summary of the opinion, which is obviously much shorter. 
So I, I'll take a look at it tonight, and, uh, and, and I'd love to be on your show another time to discuss it because I think it's a very relevant question and a very relevant issue and uh, something definitely consider. We're going to be doing a charter amendment, I'm sorry, a charter review panel that I'm going to be chairing uh, beginning in November. Um, so we'll definitely look at the suggestion that you have about the UDB, UDRB board uh, being empowered or, or having uh, you know, extra powers and what it currently has, and, and we'll take that up as a question to see if it's something that the panel and the voters want. So uh, we have a call-in caller. Your name and city, please. Hey, this is Al Crespo. How are you? Hey, Al. I'm good. <laughs> Thanks for listening, Al. You got a question for the, the commissioner? Yeah, commissioner, uh, two questions. Sure. First is that at the July 26th meeting, Mr. Berkowitz said that he did not want any public money to build the, the Baywalk. Yet uh, part of this $9 million that he's asking for from the county is for the Bay Wall. Actually, like all right. of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't have the minutes in front of me, Al. Well, if you go so, to my website, you can listen to the, you can listen to the audio tape. I posted yeah. the audio tape on my I, website. I, I have no reason to doubt, to, to doubt what you're saying. Um, and if that's the case, then obviously I think that's something that the county commissioners need to take into account when, when voting on this issue. Well, I, think that, I think the deal for, for the county commission is definitely, and the analysis and the decision is definitely extremely different than the one that we had uh, before our commission. And I think, uh, you know, it's clear based on the unanimous vote and the, and the support of the residents of the city that, uh, you know, that, that based on the information that we had, that the vote that we took was in line with what uh, our residents wanted. Francis, Francis, please, let's not go with unanimous votes of the citizens. You know, you held this vote on an August primary, which is when nobody votes. You had... What, well, okay, Al, hold on, hold on. Let's stick, hold on, Al, let's stick with the facts here. 11% okay. of the electorate voted, 22,000 votes were cast, 68% were cast in favor, and probably due to, to the mayor's uh, strong support, which was given under pre, you know, uh, under circumstances that maybe... Uh, involved some misrepresentation by the developer. Correct, but here's here's my here's the real reason I called. You were just talking about building permits. Sure. Okay. Is there a real building permit been issued for this project yet? I mean, because there hadn't been any real real uh, documents provided the build the, you know the planning and zoning people or the building department. How does one go about authorizing a building permit? Within 60 days of a vote by the you know, by the citizens on a billion dollar one thousand or 430 million dollar one thousand foot high project, because I was told this afternoon that they're that they're, that they're over there getting ready to start construction. How can that happen? How well, can a building permit be issued in in, in 60 days or less? Well, and I, I, Al, thanks for your question. You, I'm gonna let you go. I'm not an expert, Al, but I find it interesting the question because. One of the concerns that we had on the Flagstone project, which is what prompted us to pass the charter amendment, was that, that there wasn't a building permit pulled in, in, in over 10 years. So the fact that a building permit is being pulled quickly uh, is, is, in my opinion, an, an indication that the project is likely to happen, which is something that we should be uh, happy about, because that's precisely what the voters of the city of Miami wanted. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if we're talking past each other, but in one case, you know, people complain because something that they voted on never got built. And now in another case, people are complaining because something they voted on is getting built too quickly. So I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the answer is to that. And I'm not aware of the fact that 
you know, building permits don't come before the city commission. They don't call us and say, hey, we're going to issue a building permit. Is that okay with you guys? So, you know, I'll look into it. And uh, certainly if a building permit was pulled inappropriately or improperly, that's something that, uh, that, needs, to be, uh, that needs to be investigated for sure. Well, I, I want to ask you one more question, and I think we got one more call in, but I, I wanted to ask, how can we trust this developer who, if in fact said that he is seeking no public financing in the June 26th uh, hearing, which I happen to actually have just picked up from the city and we were going to present it with a full written article in the Huffington Post. How is it that our city can trust this developer to build a technically demanding thousand foot tall tower yeah. on our waterfront and maintain it into the indefinite future if we can't trust him to simply tell us whether he's made an application for financing w or not? Look, I, I, I don't think we make decisions on the basis of necessarily trusting a developer or trusting anyone in particular. We, we try to analyze a project uh, and obviously from the city's perspective, uh, if, it in, if it engages in or if it requires a, a charter approval, then, uh, then we put it to the voters and, uh, and they decide. Uh, but, but in terms of them building something that is structurally uh, sound, that's, that's on our building department and making sure that whatever they build is, is done according to code and is done properly. So, you know, it's not really about trust from my perspective. There are regulations. There are building codes. And whoever builds anything has to build it according to those codes. Otherwise, they don't get a certificate of occupancy, uh, whether it be temporary or permanent. So you, as, a, as a code inspector, as a, as a building official, you don't go in there saying, do I trust this guy or do I not trust this guy? That's not the way it works. You go I don't in know. there I, and, you, and you look at whether or not they built it properly, whether they didn't build it properly. If they built it properly, you give them the, you know, their certificate of occupancy. If they didn't, you, know, you make whatever corrections are necessary and you go from there. All righty, and we have one more caller, and then we're going to call it a night. Hey. Francis, thank you, thank you for sticking around this long, though. Caller, uh, name no, and okay. city, please. It's, Grant. it's a big issue. Hey, <laughs> it's Fred Menachem from the Gray Zone, the 9 a.m. morning slot. How are oh, you? Oh, thanks How for calling you? in, Fred. Good to hear from uh, you, buddy. Listen, I finally had a chance to listen to your show. I'm really enjoying it, by the way. I think, you know, you you offer you offer uh, you know a great service to the community. Oh, thank and, you, and, Fred. And, and I'm happy to hear it, of course. You have my dear friend Francis Suarez on the line. I'm actually I'm not calling to get involved with this conversation, to defend the, the, the you, you know I don't want to get into the whole because I think it's complicated in this sense. But what the reason why I wanted to call was you know I've had the I've had the honor to know Francis Suarez for many many years. He's a he's a dear friend. I do no business with the city of Miami. Uh, he's just a dear friend who I have the utmost respect for. And I just wanted to kind of say on the radio that I think Francis is doing a great job for the city. I think it's not easy to be in the position that Francis is in. As no, a it's a very difficult position. City of Miami commissioners, there's too few of them, in my opinion. <laughs> but, but, but truly, I know Francis personally. Francis is a brilliant lawyer. Francis does not need to be a City of Miami commissioner. If Francis really wanted to, he can go out and make a ton of money as an attorney. But Francis believes in public service. He does this because he truly believes in it. Uh, he grew up, grew up believing that public service is, is an advocation and it's important. And he Absolutely. does it for that reason. And, and, and I, I actually wanted to call him because, I, look, I don't respect and trust every politician. And believe me, I'm an insider, man. I've been around them all. I love some of them. Some, you know, I could do without. 
but Francis <laughs> Suarez is a guy that I really believe in, and I just think that sometimes we have to give accolades to the folks that deserve it. So anyway, that was my that's my little my little pitch for the day. And anyway, thank you, Francis, for what you do for the city of Miami and our community. I appreciate it. Well, I, I, I sincerely appreciate it, Fred. Uh, you know, uh, you are your friend. I consider Grant to be a friend. Uh, I consider Al to be a friend. I think anybody who has a genuine interest in the city of Miami is a friend of mine. Uh, because our interests are aligned, and, and our interests are uh, to have the very, very best city that we can. As you said, we have to make a lot of tough choices, and sometimes our choices are, are subject to criticism, sometimes rightfully so. I can't say that in, you know, five years. Uh, you well, know, we all have perfect hindsight, right? It's all 2020 after it's, it's all happened. It's all 2020, and, 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 I, and, you know, it's a growing process. I was elected at 32 years old, and, uh, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount of I've had to deal with a, a city that's teetering on the edge of bankruptcy uh, with $13 million in reserves. We now have $105 million in reserves. You know, we're a city that um, is slowly we're but still... surely recovering uh, tremendously, as you know, in your business grant. Sure. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, tremendous gains in terms of the real estate market. We've grown 7.5% last year. We're projected to grow 8.1% this next year. So, look, you know, I, I think... I think criticisms and and uh, you know and, and and critique is is a part of the democratic process and it, it keeps us on our toes. And, and, um, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, it, it does. And what's more important about it is, is that it, it keeps people more engaged if it's being discussed. Because if nobody talks about it, then nobody knows, and people say, "Well, why should I vote? Why should Grant, I get involved?" It's part of the process. Look, I'm very close to a lot of journalists in this community, and the reason being is because I have a lot of respect for journalists that are doing their job and do it professionally. We, we need folks to come out and call out our public officials when they make mistakes, when they're doing the wrong thing. But, but at the same time, I like to also, you know, acknowledge them when they're doing the right thing. And on, on just one more note, what I wanted to say as far as this project's concerned, from the perspective of the city, it's good business because the city needs economic, you know, we, we, economic growth. And this project, and from Francis's perspective, look, this project is... Is, a, is an economic factor, you know, positive benefit for the city, and that. And well, so, that's that's debatable. We none of us are are the developers. We're not writing the numbers. Right. We don't know. We're we're not involved in the business plan. What right. we're critiquing we're here solely. About a million dollars, you know, a year, you know, that can go to the city. Yeah, yeah but so, what I, we're critiquing here solely is that we try to make informed decisions as members of the public, as as part of this city, and. In this case, our decision-making process was informed by a developer who made a material omission. And maybe he did it under oath. I think this is something serious. It needs well, to be I, I investigated. I will leave that debate. My, my point right. was really yeah. more based on politicians and yeah. a difficult job. Oh, I understand. Have. It is and, and, and a our, very difficult our, job. Our perspective and what, what goes before voters of the city of Miami is what's evidenced in our documentation. And what's sure. evidenced in our documentation is the revenue that gets generated if the project is built. That's what goes before the voters because what is voted on is the amendment to the lease. So so whether he's going for public financing, whether he's not going for public financing, whether he's going from another entity, that's really has nothing to do with and that's out of your hand, document from the city of Miami is and, and 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 what the voters of the city opine over that amended uh, lease document. So you know, I, you know. I, again, I, I think uh, people like Billy Corbin. We have, you know, spirited debates about things. You know, we agree oftentimes. Sometimes he hits me on the head. You know, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and you 
know. Really, and, Billy? He disagrees yeah. with you? No yeah, way. I love, we all love Billy Corbin, but you know what? Billy Corbin's a great guy. Billy Corbin's another guy that cares about this community, that truly believes in this community. And and, and, and you know what? He's a great guy as well. And, we and, all, I'll, and I'll tell you this about Billy. I'll, I'll tell you this about Billy. When him and I have disagreed, he's never denied me the opportunity to present my side of the story. And he listens. And he if he doesn't know information and he has kind of shot first and asked questions second, um, he will, he, he will, he'll be the first to tell me like, look, you know, maybe I should have, maybe I didn't know this, or maybe I should have done this. So he's, you know, he's a very thoughtful guy. So look, you can't, you can't surround yourself always with people that are telling you, uh, how great you are, even though it's great to have uh, someone like Fred, uh, who's, uh, reputable in this community vouch for you. That's, that's certainly, you know, tremendous. Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, you know, when, when we make decisions, they're subject to scrutiny. And, and and not everyone's always happy with them or, f- or with the permutations of them. And it's our job. Uh, there's a phrase in Spanish, dale la cara. You have to, you know, you have to be presentable to the people, whether it's through the media or otherwise, uh, to uh, justify your decisions. So... And by the way, I don't, take, don't take my, 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 my praise for, for Francis, who's a good friend. If I think Francis is doing something I disagree with, believe me, I will tell you, Francis, and you know that. So yep, I, know, just, I know, I know, I uh, know. You know, and that's and that's and that's that's what makes a great leader. You're able but, but to it, accept but that. But you know what, Fred? It is nice every once in a while for someone to say something nice about you. Of course, you need that <laughs> in politics, man. Yeah, all we hear is the negative all the time. It's well, getting old, and we're getting tired of it. Everybody's tired. Yeah. Well, well, Fred, I want to thank you for calling in. Uh, we've just got one more minute here. My pleasure, Grant. Take care. Great show. Keep listening to Grant's show, seven to nine p.m. every night. Listen to the Gray Zone, nine a.m. every morning. See y'all later. And the Gray Zone start replays after this show at 9 o'clock as well, so you can listen to everything Fred was talking about uh, this morning. He's got a great guest list, and they are a fun show to listen to. So, Francis, parting thought, you said that there's a charter review going yes. on in November. Can you tell us a little bit more information about those who'd like to get involved? Yes, the City uh, Commission has, has asked me to chair a charter review committee um, and anyone, it's going to be an open process, just like our city commission meetings. Um, it's going to begin in the beginning of November. Um, we are looking at potentially putting charter questions uh, on in sometime early of the first quarter of 2016. So there's time. But anyone who has any desire to opine on the charter, please feel free to email me um, directly your thoughts, ideas, concerns. And uh, I, I certainly will uh, incorporate them into the discussion. Uh, the commissioners have named representatives from the community so far uh, to help guide in the process. Uh, and, and, you know, it'll be an open process. So I, I urge you all to participate. And where can our audience find you on Twitter? On Twitter, my name is at Francis Suarez. Um, also on, name, on, on your, your website? Do you have a website right now? or We have a district website. Yeah. Uh, I can't recall it off the top of my head what the www is, but... You it's, can email me at fsuarez at miamigov.com, fsuarez at miamigov.com. And uh, I believe, um, you know, through the city's website, you, we have our own uh, commission website, which talks about some of the initiatives that we've been a part of and, uh, and, and you know, interacting in, in the things that we do. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to come on the show and talk about a very contentious topic that, that Listen, people are concerned it, about it, here. It's a pleasure for me to do it, and, uh, you know, we can – have more extended conversations in the future about whatever you like. All righty. That sounds good, Francis. I'm going to take you up on that. <laughs> you got it. No worries. 
Well, I had a you would. <laughs> all right. Well, you'll have to come into the studio sometime soon, all right? I know. Friends are trying to get me in there, too. Yeah. Sounds good. It's all not right. far from City Hall, so we'll see you soon, all right? Okay. Sounds good. All right. Okay. We'll be right back in just a minute with our friends from Venus Rising and a ticket giveaway. So stay tuned. This is the Only in Miami show. That's 305-541-2350. Second caller wins. That's second caller wins. We're giving away two tickets to Venus Rising, the Women's Drum and Dance Ensemble performance at the 2014 Miami Music Festival from around the world, taking place this Saturday, October 25th, at the FIU Wertheim Center. It's the Wertheim Center for the Performing Arts. That's this Saturday, October 25th. Second caller wins, 305-541-2350, 305-541-2350. This is the Only in Miami show. big law firms three to five hundred dollars per hour for standard corporate legal services call the business and real estate law group at 800-398-6795 have you thought about hiring an in-house attorney but don't have the budget to justify it visit our website at brelawyers.com and see how we can protect your business without breaking your bottom line at the business and real estate law group we serve small businesses throughout florida from our offices in dade and palm beach county Flat fees are available for most transactions. So call 800-398-6795 to speak directly with one of our experienced attorneys. Again, that number is 800-398-6795. Or you can visit our website at brelawyers.com. That's B as in boy, R as in Richard, E as in Edward, lawyers.com. Get the service, value, and peace of mind your business deserves from the attorneys at the Business and Real Estate Law Group. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find us online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. And we're still giving away those two tickets to Venus Rising. Call in at 305-541-2350. That's 305-541-2350. And we have a special guest here, the manager of Venus Rising. 
Maria Yorka. Thank you for coming on the show tonight to tell us about Venus Rising. I'm sorry, audience, we are going to have a live drum circle on the air, uh, but somebody got hurt. What happened there? Well, uh, first of all, you can still have us one day. We'll come in here, all of us. But uh, one of our drummers hurt her knee. Um, so she's kind of on the mend. So we brought some music to play for you, let you know what we're going to do on Saturday and tell you a little bit about who we are and what we do. But, uh, you know, drumming, percussion, it's something you want to see live. So it would be cool on the radio, but it'll be much cooler on Saturday at the festival. Okay, so uh, what inspired Venus Rising? What started Venus Rising? Well, Ziva Zoriker, um, who founded the group about 10 years ago, started it with three drummers. Um, she had been playing, and, and it's the type of feeling many of us have. Uh, we have played percussion. We have played uh, with men. We find that playing with women is a very um, beautiful, cooperative process which we enjoy so we're about 20 performers half our dancers half our drummers now some are drummers and dancers um and it started with just three drummers um all female drum and dance troupe and now we are about 20 people so that's how it started that that's how it goes you start with a few and it, it expands and mm -hmm. expands and expands so what will you be performing this Saturday at the Wertheim Center over on FIU campus? Well, we're going to... The interesting thing about us, I think, is is we play all kinds of music. There all are right. groups out there, you know, we talk about only in Miami. There are groups out there that do African music or do Haitian music, do Afro-Cuban music. Uh, we do African-based, Afro-rhythmic type music. But we have members from Jamaica, Haiti, um, um, the, from other islands, Venezuela, Colombia, Spain. So we have a real mix of members. Uh, so what we're going to perform, we're going to perform Haitian music. We're going to perform music from Ghana, um, Haitian dances, um, social rhythms, voodoo rhythms. We're going to play a samba, Brazilian and um, also a Senegalese um, harvest fertility choreography type of piece. So it's, it's touching on a lot of um, African rhythmic-based cultures and traditions, but it's a huge mix of, uh, of music. That's really cool. I was actually reading an article today called Science Shows How Drummers' Brains mm. Are Actually Different from Everybody Else's. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm going to tweet that if you're out there and you're, you're following along at home. Uh, I'm at Grant Stern. I'm just going to tweet the article because I think it's pretty neat. Um, but it basically says that uh, according to this study in Stockholm, Sweden, there's actually a link between intelligence, good timing, and the part of the brain used for timing beats. Mm -hmm. So, oh, oh, hey, we have a winner. Is she, <laughs> wait a second. We have our call in. Is she on the line? Okay, bring her on. Hello. Hello. You, uh, Hi. Uh, who am I speaking with? Name and city. Uh, my name is Gloria Davis, and I'm in Fort Lauderdale. Gloria, congratulations. You've won two tickets to Venus Rising this weekend. Great. I'm really excited. Thank you. So our producers already got your information, and I'm going to pass this along to our friends. Okay. So thank you so much for calling in tonight. And what's your favorite show on 880 The Biz? Um, well, I'm new to the area, so this is, uh, I'm just starting to listen, so... Well, I hope it's the only in Miami show. <laughs> okay. Now yes, it is, right? Only in Miami show, absolutely. <laughs> there we go. 
<laughs> Gloria, thank you so much for calling in tonight. Congratulations on winning the two tickets. Thank you very much. All righty. That's nice. We, we have a winner. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll see Gloria at the show. We're very excited. So uh, what else should our audience know about the Venus Rising Group? Do you guys have a next gig set up that we should hear about? Well, we have. We play um, all over Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Our members are in both uh, both cities. We want to make sure that folks find us on Facebook because they can follow exactly what we're doing, where the shows are going on. Okay, so your Facebook page is facebook.com slash... Venus Rising. Okay, we'll, we'll find it's that. V- yeah, you can find us. It's v- Venus Rising Women's Drum and Dance Ensemble. Because if you just look up Venus Rising, you get all kinds of stuff. But Venus Rising Women's Drum and Dance Ensemble, and you'll find us. You can also link through. We're um, on our website is venusrising.net, and our Twitter account is Venus Rising SOFL for South Florida. So you can find us there. Okay, and one more time, give me the website. The website is venusrising.net. And I looked it up. It's facebook.com slash Ensemble. So we're going to take a really short break, and we're going to listen to a little bit more of Venus Rising, and we'll be right back discussing Inter-Miami and MLS soccer. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find us online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. And we are here with two gentlemen from Inter Miami AFC. Guys. Yes. Hello. Uh, I know we have Christian on the line. Who else is with us? You have Junior Brown, the designer of the logo. Okay. And Christian, introduce yourself because. Yes, absolutely. Uh, my name is Christian Fronick. I am uh, one of the founders of Inter Miami AFC. So. Junior, tell me a little bit about Inter-Miami uh, AFC. What does it do? What is Inter-Miami AFC? Well, right now we are a fledgling organization trying to bring soccer to South Florida. So, uh, professional soccer, amateur, both? Professional soccer. Okay, so you guys are looking to bring uh, MLS soccer to South Florida. Right. Absolutely. Okay, so you made a press release earlier, and I saw the pictures. They looked really cool. You guys are holding a contest? Um, sort of. I mean, it's, it's pretty much open to anyone. And, uh, you know, whoever's willing to take the initiative and come up with some good designs, um, we're going we're gonna to promote them and put them out there. And, you know, I guess you never know. If we catch the eye of one of the potential owners of the MLS club, where it could take them. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I saw some of your designs. They they involved a really cool jersey with some orange and green, like it's green trim and orange stripes on a white field. That's correct. So what, what inspired uh, one, that? One of the things that I think all of us uh, believe in is that the, the team really needs to have an identity that's kind of rooted in its foundation, the foundations of the city, uh, right. the history as far as um, the international – uh, population, international business, um, all the different ethnicities and cultures that make up Miami. That's that's a great idea. I mean, the best community organizations draw their ideas from the communities they're in, right? Exactly. And, and you know, there's lots of great ideas out there. Um, but I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little afraid of some of the people – uh, getting caught up in the whole Miami Vice and kind of, uh, uh, you know, just one genre when Miami is so rich and so full of history that a lot of people who live here still don't even know. And what a great opportunity to not only uh, have a basis for a professional sports team, but to teach a little bit about the history of Miami and South Florida. Right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's my daughter. Uh, no, no, not not a problem <laughs> at all there. <laughs> so, Christian, tell me a little bit about what inspired this particular logo design. I saw that you're in college up in Virginia, but you're you're a Miami native. Oh no, that's me. Oh no, that's 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 Junior. So take it away, oh. Junior. <laughs> junior, I'm sorry, Junior. Go ahead. Well, um, I start to think about Miami's history, it's rich history. It started with. Way before, way before the United States, you know, Spanish sailors came off the island, Florida. That's what. That's where the ship came in. Okay. Of course, the colors, orange, lime green, blue. My, that's the city of Miami colors. Also, the colors of Miami-Dade County. So I thought that'd be a perfect tie-in. Okay, I like that. Hey, I'm looking at it right now. This is the Inter Miami logo, and it's got a tremendous stylized ship. Uh, and it says Paradeid, is that what it says? Yes, 
Para Dade. Not Para Miami Dade? <laughs> para Dade. Para Dade. Vamos oh. Inter. No, it's very, very cool. So, so uh, is this something that basically the the MLS team can use, or, or like they're they're going to hopefully take advantage of it? And yeah, you know, I don't think any of us, um, you know, our motivation in the beginning here is just as fans and okay. uh, being creative and wanting to really um, put something out there that might spark some interest and uh, perhaps, you know, end up being incorporated somehow in the professional team. That's very, very cool. So have you heard anything about the four sites? Because I've heard that there's four sites that MLS is looking at uh, this time around. Yes. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of the Southern Legion people and, uh, we had them, them on the show in the past. Uh, they're they're have, pretty cool. Um, I guess, uh, some, some knowledge of potentially where those sites are, uh, but without stepping on some toes and actually without looking at, uh, a map, I, I wouldn't be able to really point those out. <laughs> That's okay. If I may offer my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah, go I ahead. Think the um, slip would be perfect right along the next to the American Oh, that that's already been cast aside months ago, though. That, right. That's long gone. Yeah. yeah, no, I think I think one of the sites they're looking at is, is north of there and a little more inland, and I can't remember the name of the community. Um, in Edgewater, in Edgewater. There's, there's still people promoting uh, areas over by Marlins Park, and, um, and there's a couple more, but... Uh, I don't know. It, you know, anymore, I've, I've stopped paying too close of attention to it because it's just a, it's a fool's game, you know. You get your hopes up. I've, they've already been up and dashed twice uh, pretty <laughs> sure. severely. So. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult process. It is not easy to locate into a major metropolitan area that's been built up. Now, I'm, I'm taking a look at the Southern Legion guys' uh, Facebook page, and actually yesterday they released a design as well. Uh, have you guys seen it? Yeah, they've actually got quite a few designs. I okay. think the one that really got a lot of press was another Inter Miami design by a, a, a guy named uh, Diego Bogara. And uh, very sharp, very professional. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're kind, of, they're, they're kind of doing the same thing we are. Um, I don't know who decided to go down that route first, but uh, it doesn't really matter. And uh, we work with, you know, we support the Southern Legion. We're not a supporters club. We're just a, we're just a group of people that are interested in advancing the ball. And, um, you know, we do have we, we support whatever they do and, 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 you know, whatever we can do to contribute, we do that. So you guys are, are midfielders, not strikers. Yeah, exactly. We like to set, them, set people up for the score. He's going to be the central attacker. Right, right. <laughs> no, I, I really like uh, a lot of the stuff that they've put out there as far as the – like they have a uh, Atletico Miami logo. But it would be I great if maybe one. all of the groups could get together and make like one big design contest, right? Right. And, you know, I think more or less without, uh, without it being uh, very structured, that's kind of what's happening right now. Um, sure. And, and, yeah, I guess it would be nice if maybe – and and. Unfortunately, 
you know, sometimes I think people's, um, uh, I don't want to say pride, but something gets in the way and they feel like they have to have ownership of these types of things. And except for the people that are actually doing the design, uh, Inter-Miami claims no ownership whatsoever. You know, the only thing that we came up with was what we thought was a very accurate and attractive name that's based in history um, and that would really stand the test of time. And uh, as far as all the artistic stuff, we have nobody with the design capabilities of uh, Junior or anybody else out there. Well, you know, I really want to see soccer here. I think that it's just such a great market for it. Um, it's kind of shocking that it never flourished, but it all, it never flourished because they always tried to put it in Broward in the middle of literally nowhere, Lockhart Stadium. Um, did did either of you guys make it to the Colombia-Brazil match recently? Um, that, was, uh, that was held at um, Sun, at Sun Life? Life, yeah. Um, no, I went to the Champions uh, Tournament. Um, I didn't make it to the Colombia-Brazil, but that was sold out, right? Yeah, I think you know, it did sell out. It actually broke the record that Barcelona versus uh, Chivas de Guadalajara set a few years earlier. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the the interest in soccer and football is there. There's no doubt about it. No, uh, yeah. It's just a very tricky market. And um, I think, you know, one of the things that anybody that's going to have a successful club and organization and brand here is uh, – you can't get pigeonholed. You got to be a big tent to get as many people from as many backgrounds as possible, and that's what Inter Miami does just by name alone. Jeff Laurie's fault. <laughs> right. Oh, and I think you mentioned you said it. dirty words on the air. I think. Hey, can you beep that, Booth? No. Oh, darn. Tell him I said it too. <laughs> I sure will. I sure will. Uh, you know, it's it's tough, man, because if you love baseball, I'm a big sports nut, okay? That's why we do sports on the show. Um, but it's also, it's difficult because from a political perspective, there's so much shenanigans with these right. sports teams and public money. And right. and it's, it's difficult because we as the public, like, hey, man, I'm paying to go see these events. I'm going to the soccer events and the baseball games and the basketball games and the occasional football game. But I don't think that people who aren't, going to go to those events should pay right it's it's just it's a it's a tough situation as a taxpayer and as a sports fan because no I, I mean i tend to agree with you I, I don't think it's uh you know the the concept of build it and they will come is um not a viable concept especially in miami and speaking um, of speaking of not viable concepts and building it so they will come have you guys seen what's going on with the panthers lately Definitely. Really? That's that that sad, makes you uh, and and maybe the guy on the phone. Once. I mean, I I I was here in law school when uh, when the Panthers made the run to the Stanley Cup final. It was amazing. It, you know, ever since they left Miami, they haven't really done much. Right. Nope. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, uh, what do you guys think of that whole situation? Is there something that could be done to rectify it? Do you guys have an idea? Because. That's what the Herald and the New Times have been talking about. The rats in their locker room again. Maybe they'll get their act together. <laughs> <laughs> How big should the rats be? <laughs> yeah, motivate people more than some rats in their locker. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they're playing like rats right now. Right, right. No, I mean, I think, I think any more you have to build from the ground up. You have to invest in community. 
and getting people to feel like they, have, they too, have something invested in the team, in the club, in the organization, and being a part of it. And, you know, hockey's tough anyway in a warm climate like this. But uh, What, you're not playing I mean, hockey at me, home? That's the, really? That's where you, you get back to the roots, right? Look, uh, wait, you, wait a minute. You're telling priorities. me? Are you telling me that you're not playing hockey after you're done playing soccer? <laughs> I don't know. Every time I go to look for ice, all I find are puddles. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go looking for ice in the Everglades. We'll see how it works out. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess you never know with global warming and everything. <laughs> I want I want your one final opinion uh, on this subject because this is something that it's one of the driving reasons they wanted to put a stadium into the slip area. And it's one of the reasons I'm very much in favor of them putting it into Edgewater. Um, one of the proposed locations is only about a block and a half from a metro, rail, a metro mover station, excuse me. Which is about as far as the American Airlines Arena is. It's about a five-minute walk from the mover. Okay. Um, if there is a stadium built in downtown, would you take mass transit to get there? Uh, I I would. It, it, yeah. And, in fact, I think that should be a big part of how they decide uh, where they're going to put a stadium. And and I think the, the proposed FEC Railroad um, um, rehab is – something that should maybe be considered part of the whole development. And um, I think downtown should be the first priority, but man, there's some beautiful space up by the FIU um, Biscayne Bay uh, area. And that's pretty close to FEC Railroad too. Uh, and then you pull people uh, from uh, Aventura and uh, all those condos. I mean, it's one of the most, densely populated areas in the country, I think. And uh, and yeah. then, you know, people from downtown would have to ride a little bit north. But anyway, uh, that's just me uh, dreaming and thinking out loud. Well, you know what? That's what we're all here in Miami to do. We're here to think. We're here to dream. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the show, but we're out of time tonight. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, Grant. Thank you. All righty, and I'd like to thank all of our guests tonight. Thank Joe Garcia, Francis Suarez, Fernando Nunez-Noda. I'd like to thank uh, our friends from Venus Rising for coming on the program. This is the Only in Miami show.